Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. And I'm Shaniqua McClendon. Shaniqua, do you like Greg's sprinkles on your ice cream? I think so. You know, they're a little nutty. Um, <laughs> but fun and sweet. So here's the thing. Obviously, we're up to episode four with Succession. We're massive fans. Who mm-hmm. are you currently rooting for based on based on what we know so far? This feels really cliche and I feel really basic for saying it, but I'm rooting for Kendall. I have been since season one and I still am. At the end of episode three, I felt really bad for him. Um, you know, he was kind of in a weird space, but then his sister released this awful letter about him. And I was just like, you don't do that. There's like, what is there's a line wrong? you don't like, cross. Shiv is the most unchill this season by a mile. It's like, look, I know. they can, all the brothers and sisters can fight each other, but she's like legitimately abusive to Tom. <laughs> I know. I feel bad for Tom. I mean, it's like get free. We've come full circle. We feel bad for Tom. I mean, I know. (laughs) And he's like the main one who covered up all of the the cruise line stuff. Just to be a member of the family, and now he's like flipping through his book of which prison might be best for him if he ends up having to go. (laughs) It is so so sad, and I think what's the saddest is, or maybe again, I'm just you know doing Kendall's bidding. He actually provided a way for his brother and sister to get from the real villain, which is their father. They turned him down and and now they're just like being awful to him. I can't wait to see what episode five brings. I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah, episode four was, I don't want to laugh because someone was ill, but bad things happen to bad people sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes bad things happen to bad people. Today, we're joined by Cynthia Nixon, Shaniqua McClendon, Julissa Arce, and Kieran Deal to tackle the following questions. Why won't the media give Biden a win? What doesn't Cynthia Nixon know about New York politics? Can we ditch gifts this year and just be happy to be together? All this and more coming up. So before we get to news, two quick but very important things. One. Aaron has had the baby. Juniper Josephine was born last weekend. She's seven pounds, one ounce. She was 19.75 inches. Aaron's home. She's recovering. The baby's adorable. And that's all we could ask for. Now, I want to put out the call again for Hills Giving submissions. We're recording that episode soon. So if you have a Thanksgiving hill you'll die on or a petty Thanksgiving take, please send a 30-second voice memo to hysteria at crooked.com and you might hear it on the show. Okay, on to news. I'm so excited to again be joined this week by Crooked Media's senior political director, Shaniqua. Shaniqua, how are you? I am wonderful. I'm actually in Atlanta today, so... Different, different weather from L.A. Different weather from L.A., but same news. Same news. Yes, same news. I just get it quicker. Okay, so let's get to it. Last Friday, Congress passed a historic $1.25 trillion infrastructure spending bill that will boost funding for transportation, internet access, clean drinking water, much of which will be distributed to states, which will then allocate the funds to regional projects. Shaniqua, before we get into the breakdown of this, can you walk us through how the politics of getting this historic bill passed and what it means that Build Back Better wasn't passed alongside it? Yeah, um, well, it's it's been a journey. And fun fact about me, I actually worked on infrastructure policy when I was on the Hill. And 
it was, yeah, always, always a lot of fun. Issue expert, um, it's finally infrastructure week for you. I know, I know. I've been waiting my entire life for this, so I'm really excited. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just been a journey. They um, So the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed on Friday out of the House was actually passed in August by the Senate. So three months ago, they passed this bill. But the reason that it hadn't passed the House is because progressives for once had a little bit of leverage. They had the Build Back Better plan, which is a social spending bill that is kind of um, the complement to this bipartisan infrastructure bill. Um, and it has a lot of things like it extends the child tax credit, which has helped cut child poverty in, in half since it's been implemented in one of the previous COVID bills. Um, there's possibly, hopefully going to be some paid family leave in there and just a lot of policies that will help um, people just kind of live. Uh, and so progressives pretty much said, hey, we're not going to pass this bipartisan bill unless we make sure the social spending bill gets passed. No Republicans are going to support that bill. So they needed every Democrat to do that. And over the past three months, we have seen, uh, of course, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema say that they don't like all these things in the bill. But you also had a handful of moderates who, you know, I'll just call them centrist with no real ideology. They just didn't want to pass the bill. They always had a reason why they couldn't pass the bill. Um, and so progressive said, we're not going to pass this bipartisan bill unless we know this other bill is going to pass. And, um, you know, for whatever reason that we will have faith uh, in their decision on Friday, they decided that they no longer needed to hold on to the bipartisan package and pass the bill. Some people think it's because of the results out of Virginia that they felt like we just need to get something done. But Representative Diapol, who leads the progressive caucus, has said that she trusts Joe Biden to, to get this over the finish line. I am going to put my trust in her uh, because I cannot put it in Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Uh, <laughs> but if everything goes well, um, this bill will be passed at some point soon. Moderates or centrists in the House said that they, you know, they still want to see a CBO score, which could take some time, but they said next week that they'll vote on the bill as long as everything lines up. So hopefully they pass that and then it goes over to the Senate. And then we just have to put our faith in those folks over there to see what they come up with. And they'll probably make some changes to it, uh, send it back to the House, and then fingers crossed it gets passed. Or they could say we're not doing this anymore. But that's just me being a pessimist, and I should not do that. Shaniqua, what are some of the big ticket items that are in this bill that we can all look forward to? Yes. So if you drive over potholes or feel a little uneasy on bridges, there's $110 billion in the bill for roads and bridges which is just really important for us to get around. Um, it's important for how goods move around the country. Uh, and, you know, potholes mess up cars. I don't drive that much, but when I, whenever I go to New York, I drive my father's car and he's always like, there's a pothole there. And so people care about that. So getting those fixed. Uh, there's $65 billion for expanding broadband access. That's really important. You know, I grew up in a really rural part of North Carolina and yeah, we didn't have internet. I had to go to school to use internet. And during COVID, there were a lot of students who couldn't get their work done because they didn't have access to broadband. So this will be really important so more Americans can access internet. Uh, $65 billion to upgrade our electric grid. Uh, that's important all over the country. You know, we saw what happened in Texas when the weather got really cold. Right. And even in some states where, you know, like California where the weather, and Texas, <laughs> where the weather gets really hot, um, you know, that can impact the electric grid. $39 billion for public transit. Um, you know, sorry to keep injecting my personal stories, but when I started working on transportation policy, I got really upset because I was like, this is not a social issue. I'm going to work on social issues. But when you start exploring a lot of these things and thinking about something like public transit, 
it's how people who don't have cars get around and whether or not we have enough money invested in that is is a big deal. Um, and something else that's in the bill that you know has gotten a lot of attention in the last couple of days is $1 billion for reconnecting communities. And that might sound kind of like, what does that even mean? But in the past, infrastructure and infrastructure policy has been used to kind of separate communities and keep people of color and poor people separate from white people and more affluent people. And so now this $1 billion can be used to kind of um, reverse some of those um, racist and prejudiced policies that have been put in place in the past. And so now, Shaniqua, that's big picture. But to give people a sense of what that means for their communities, here's some local flavor, okay? So in Arizona, this will improve broadband access for 14% of Arizonans who have none and 45% who live in an area with only one provider. In Colorado, this means $35 million to protect against wildfires. In Iowa, it means $638 million for water infrastructure. In Ohio, money will go to the Great Lakes Restoration Fund, which will get a billion dollars to fund projects to decrease pollution, address erosion, and invasive species. And in one of my favorites, in Alaska, the Alaska Marine Highway System, which encompasses the ferries that help connect the state, they're going to set money to construct a ferry system to reach the most rural of communities. And so, Shaniqua, when we are always pissed that the news is always trash, this is truly wonderful news. It's been painted by the media as a failure or falling short by Joe Biden. This is historic. Every person in the country is going to benefit Mm -hmm. from this. So, you know, normally we might toast or roast today, but there was a little bit of bad news this week. And so we're going to bring back Fuck That Guy because we haven't done a Fuck That Guy segment in a while. And I'm going to send it over to you to tell us what guy should, well, fuck off all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, there's always a long list of of men we could put in this category, but today it's going to be Arizona Representative Paul Gosar. He's someone who was sharing conspiracy theories about January 6th, big Trump guy. But this week he posted um, on Twitter an anime, an altered anime video that basically depicts him killing Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and and injuring the president um, with, with swords. And something I remember during my internship at the White House is if someone wrote a threatening letter to the president, Secret Service showed up at your door. So I don't understand how this is any different and no one is showing up, um, you know, at his door. They know where he works. They could get there pretty quickly. Um, And, you know, just thinking about Representative Ocasio-Cortez, she gets a lot of just kind of vitriol from from a lot of people and should not have to get that from her actual colleagues, whether or not they're in the same party, whether or not they believe the same thing. She shouldn't have to experience that. And, you know, she responded to the video and probably is very right in saying that there won't be any consequences for him because the person who runs his caucus, um, Kevin McCarthy, he kind of cheers these things on and then they fundraise off of these things. And something that I thought was really interesting is that his digital director, who I guarantee is the actual person who like put this video together and, and put it out into the world. One, she's a woman. Her name is Jessica Lycos. And she basically said, everyone needs to relax. And so, you know, unfortunately, we're going to have to add a woman in here and say, fuck her too. And then I tried to go see who his comms director was because they would have had to prove this. And actually, if you go to his website right now, he has a page with his staff. 
Jessica's not on there and neither is the comms director. So I don't know if they huh. pulled them off to kind of uh, help them avoid any kind of accountability. Um, but yeah, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. And Twitter has basically said that a public interest notice has been placed on his account. I don't know what that means. You know, he should be off of the platform if he's uh, putting threatening and violent uh, stuff out like that. But if Twitter won't do anything uh, more than that or Kevin McCarthy, we can at least say, Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Okay. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'll be sitting down with the Cynthia Nixon. And we're back. Please welcome award-winning actress, activist, and my fave almost governor, Cynthia Nixon. Hey, Alyssa, how are you? Oh, it's so good to see you. I wish people, well, people will see you because we'll take a photo, but you look fucking gorgeous right now. Thank you. Thank you. So, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us today because we know that you're just like a little busy right now with many (laughs) things, but especially bringing our beloved Miranda Hobbs back to life. Are you having the best time? I am literally having the time of my life. I, I have to say, you know, I was, I was reluctant. I was scared. I said, but it has to be this if we come back, but it has to be this, but it has to be this. And then all of these things materialized and, you know, uh, some months back, I can't even remember, I guess it was June. We all gathered together and did the read through of the first three episodes. And I really, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. It was like, the writing is so amazing these actors, we've known each other for forever, and we have these amazing new playmates who are deigned to join us. And I don't know, it's like, it was electric. It was really one of the 10 best days of my life. Oh my God. Well, we're going to get to that a little bit more later. But (laughs) why I really wanted to have you on, Cynthia, is because, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about why people were wrong about things, but we like rarely let people come and gloat a little bit about when they were right. And so a few weeks ago, for those who don't know, uh, Albany County Sheriff charged Governor Cuomo with forcible touching. And now, Cynthia, you won't believe it. Cuomo is asking for an investigation into the sheriff. Of course he is. (laughs) So the revelations of the last year about Cuomo could be categorized as horrifying, but not actually surprising to anyone who knows New York state politics. And during your campaign, you called him out for cronyism, abuses of power, evading accountability. You saw Cuomo then as many have finally come to see him now. So you knew then it would be an all-hands mission from Team Cuomo to take you down. So what, what really pushed you into the race, knowing how brutal it would be? You know, the thing that really pushed me into the race was uh, education funding. Um, because I've been an activist most of my life, but the, when my activism really kicked into high gear was the year that my oldest child um, entered kindergarten in 2001, and there were these massive budget cuts, and I got involved in fighting for education funding on a city level, but very quickly I saw that the state really controlled the money, um, and that we had actually $4 billion that was owed us because of a lawsuit. I won't go into all the details, but the thing that was preventing that money actually from being distributed was Andrew Cuomo. Um, and 
people had actually been, because of CFE, because of the Campaign for Fiscal Equity, which would fully fund New York State schools, um, and redo the funding formula so that they're, that our most starved, under-resourced schools would get their fair share. They had been trying to get me to run since 2010, and I had always been like, you've got to be crazy. And then uh, Zephyr Teachout ran in 2014 when I also passed. And she did such an amazing job. I, I couldn't believe what I was watching in terms of her shining a light on him and the kind of person he was and the incredible corruption. And also, I think most importantly, all the legislation that we could have passed, progressive legislation that would have greatly improved the lives of New Yorkers. Um, and he, he wouldn't, you know, he's a Democrat because he's Mario Cuomo's son and because he is in New York state, but he is really a Republican at heart and he really doesn't want to fund things. He just wants to not tax people and control his own power. So when I saw what Zephyr did and nobody would pay any attention to her, they wouldn't put her on television. They wouldn't interview her. They wouldn't take her seriously. He wouldn't debate her. They dragged her into court. They terrorized her and they wouldn't take her seriously. And she got, I believe, 35% of the vote. Right. And I was like, if Zephyr Teachout, who no one will put on TV, can do that, what am I being so chicken about? Because I can get on TV. I, I know that I can. You know, I've been an activist in New York politics for, you know, at least 10 years, depending on what you count. And my wife and I really fought hard to get marriage equality passed. I have some experience in Albany. But at root, I know it's a two to one democratic state. It's an incredibly progressive place. And because there's a Democrat in the governor's mansion, we're all like, oh, he's a Democrat. He's blue. He's taking care of things. I don't need to worry. And really, the complete opposite was true. And I ran to shine a light on it. And I really essentially also ran because nobody else would. Because the thing about Andrew Cuomo is he is amazingly ruthless and vindictive. And if you are even tangentially involved in politics and you go up against him, much less run against him, he will destroy your livelihood like he tried to do to Ron Kim recently. Right, right. Um, and so there were many people who would have liked to run, but they could their careers would be over. Whereas, knock on wood, I'm in the arts and there's really not a lot he can do to me. Right. And that enabled me to run. So I remember watching your debate and you were a fucking ninja. You were a ninja, Cynthia. And the funny thing is the press didn't really cover it that way. How did, now you said that the, the press didn't even cover Zephyr. How did the press cover you? The press covered me like I was this wacko, ditzy, actress and and an actress not actor right but actress, actress and all that implies a lot of cosmo jokes that yeah. were coming from the cuomo camp that they were spoon feeding the media and i have to say there were journalists who took us seriously and and female journalists in particular but a few men too but there was this general sense of isn't she sweet and misguided isn't she cute right if i put her on you know, if I interview her, people will watch it. But certainly we don't want this woman, you know, to, to, to be taken seriously as a candidate. And Andrew Cuomo is is governor of New York. You know, the sun comes up in the morning and Andrew Cuomo is governor of New York. That's just the way it's been 
you know, for a long time. And it's, it's just stretching, you know, into the future. One of the funniest quotes that I read, and I didn't know if it was supposed to be a compliment or a criticism, but it made me think you were like the baddest bitch ever. In, in the New York Times in the summer of 18, a reporter wrote, Surely Nixon, the only candidate in history who said she had no trouble performing nude on television because she had already breastfed on the number two train. I think that made you sound New Yorky as fuck. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, okay, she can be my governor. But so here's a question. <laughs> so you ran, you worked your fucking ass off. And now here we are. Someone, Cuomo's not governor anymore. But that aside. Based on your campaign, how many of the issues that you campaigned on in the primary are becoming a reality now here in New York? The lion's share of them, I mean, which is amazing. So for me, the campaign for fiscal equity, the fully funding of our, of our schools, that's front and center. But there were so many things. There was criminal justice reform. Um, There was the passing of the New York Green Deal. There was the um, bringing our abortion laws into line with the federal standard. Um, There was the DREAM Act. There was the passage of Genda. It's really amazing. The list goes on and on and on. Legal weed. Legal weed. Legal weed. You know, the most progressive housing laws in the country, you know, uh, uh, rent laws. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is when I was deciding whether to run, you know, I went to the people, the grassroots people in all of these areas. And I said, if you were governor, if you could write the governor's platform, if you could write, what would you do? And we incorporated all of it. And then I think the really important thing about 2018 was I was running, yes, and, and Jamani Williams was running for, for lieutenant governor and Zephyr Teachout was running for AG. But really, Maybe the most significant thing was there was this group called the IDC, which were these eight Democratic state senators elected as Democrats who had been turned by the Republican leadership and also, frankly, by the governor, although he never admits it, um, and incentivized to caucus with the Republicans and give the Republicans control of the state Senate so that all of this stuff was unable to pass and in some cases unable to even be brought up for a vote. And so eight people who were all women and or people of color ran against these eight IDC and six of them got in. And so the entire makeup of the New York State Senate changed so that now the Democrats were in in the leadership and Andrea Stewart Cousins was then the top dog there. And so all this legislation started to pass. And then the governor Either he had to veto it and show his true colors or he had to sign off on it. And then very shortly after that, we then got a veto proof majority. Right. So I think it was really important, our campaign to show all of the things that we could have in this two to one Democratic state if we only tried. But then also the governor didn't have a Republican led Senate to hide behind him. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because had you not been challenging him his fire would have been trained on them, right? But you were kind of the one taking all the incoming. So they were actually able to have campaigns that could get traction without the Cuomo folks being too, too involved. Yeah, I just also want to say, I feel like an exciting thing that's happening in the progressive movement 
is we are starting to run as teams in tandem with each other, whether it's the Working Families Party slate right. or the Democratic Socialists of America slate. And, you know, so many progressive people have just been elected to the New York City Council when progressives who are really talking about these meat and potatoes issues that move the ball forward don't just run singly, but say, you like me, I'm like that one and like that one and like that one. And we're a team and vote for us and support us and donate to us. It is. And like the lesson here, too, is that you can have a huge impact even if you don't win. That is so much in a way about what your candidacy is about. You moved the needle in New York State, even though you didn't win. And we have so many policies now as someone who lives in upstate New York that I see daily because of your run. And so, so grateful to you, Cynthia Nixon. And, you know, I was one of your people, po political people are tough, but I was one of your biggest supporters during the campaign. I couldn't get enough. Yes. Totally were. I even I even wrote an op-ed for the upstate New York papers. And in it, I was like, I know I could face retribution for this, hoping that then they couldn't <laughs> do anything. My husband was like, they're going to raise our taxes because if you're damn op-ed. So I just want to say thank you for running and thank you for being an example to people that even if it's an uphill battle, it doesn't mean that you still can't make change, even if you don't win. I mean, that's the thing about why it's so important to challenge incumbents, you know, from within our own party. We got to drag people left and we can do it by talking about the issues because when we talk about our issues, the voters are like, wow, that would be great. Universal health care, right. we could have that. Legalized marijuana, we could have that. Really actually muscular rent laws, you know, and an end to cash bails so that people aren't sitting in jail for, for, for months and sometimes horribly years on end awaiting trial that are legally innocent in the court's eyes. And it's so important to talk about too, because so much of what the GOP likes to paint as fucking wacky socialism are actually policies that other industrial, like 90% of other industrialized countries have had for years. We're not leading the world here. We're trying to catch the fuck up in a lot of instances. I was so thrilled by India Walton's candidacy as mayor of Buffalo recently, and so deeply, deeply sad that she did not prevail. But I think that if you just look at that one case, I mean, it's so, it's so like Cuomo, right? That mm -hmm. Byron Brown, who's been the Democratic mayor there for 16 years, he's barely a Democrat. Like Cuomo, he's really just interested in, in holding on to power and paying off his his cronies and distributing the money to those who support him and, and starving the city of, of any resource otherwise. If you look at what happened when India Walton, who ran an amazing grassroots campaign with not a single paid staffer, and she took from him the Democratic nomination. She was the Democratic nominee. But what happened is, you know, a lot of people that I consider in the establishment, like, you know, even like Chuck Schumer and, you know, Kristen Gillibrand, I mean, they endorsed her. But, you know, Jay Jacobs, the head of the New York State Democratic Party, did not. Kathy Hochul, our Democratic governor, who is from Buffalo herself, did not endorse. And what you saw was they vilified her and they made her a, a boogie woman. And Republican money poured into Byron Brown's coffers. And that's what happens so much, even with people who are ostensibly in our party, when they get challenged from the left, you know, we have different wings of the Democratic Party, right. but I wish we had more sense of like, 
don't team up with those guys. Just like fundamental, they, fundamental threshold. Don't team up with those guys. They they stand for really the opposite of, of everything that we're saying we stand for. And if you're if you're not going to support the Democratic nominee, don't ever come back to me and say, you know, oh, hold your nose and vote for me because I'm a Democrat. It was like, where were you for India Walton? She was the nominee. Totally. So politics can be both depressing and inspiring. But you know, what's just nothing but good. And just like that. <laughs> OK, so here's my question. I From read- your lips. God's ears. Oh, I'm so ready for it. Are you kidding? I, so just to, just so you know, in 2008, this is one of my favorite stories. In 2008, we're on the Obama campaign when Sex and the City, the movie comes out and we had not done anything for ourselves. It's really before people ever talked about self-care. And every single one of my ladies that worked for me, we were like, God is our witness. Nothing is stopping us. And we went to the Chinese restaurant across the way. We all had some Cosmos. And then we went and saw Sex and the City together. And it was literally one of our greatest memories of the campaign because it was such fucking joy. And so I know that that same group of women, we've all been texting. We're like, when does it come out? Do I have HBO Max? And so question, couple questions. One, So one of the things that I was, I guess, I don't know. Well, I'll ask you your opinion. I'll save my opinion. So I read Sarah Jessica in Vogue that Naomi Fry did, and she calls out the misogynistic and ageist comments in response to the new season, which ranged from, oh my God, they have gray hair to some very pathetic Golden Girls jokes to like, they have no wrinkles. They have too many wrinkles. Did you think that people were going to come, that that was going to be the criticism of the show? Yes, I have to say I'm not at all surprised. It's not it's not where my mind goes, but um but yeah, totally. I mean, I think we're in our mid 50s, right? Right. And men who I mean, I don't know what men are in their mid 50s. I mean, Clooney's older, George Clooney's older than that, right? Totally. I mean, right. I mean, Brad Pitt, he's probably older than that. He because is. there is a there is right. There is a a level on which, you know, men with their graying temples and their wrinkle, you know, can be like, you know, the hunkiest they've ever been. And it's like, I won't typify the kind of things that they're <laughs> saying, or I, I hear that they're saying, but yeah, there's an unbelievable double standard. And, you know, I, I mean, I have to say when the show first, first, first come out, when we were little, little children in our early thirties or whatever, um, there was a lot of, of revulsion that the press tried to hit us with at that time. It was just a different tone. It was like, this is disgusting. The women talking about sex like this, and these right. are really women. These are gay men disguised as women and, and all this stuff. It, the actual frank sexual appetite of the characters was really, you know, freaked some, some people in the press out, but not seemingly the viewers. Um, so I, you know, I hope that there will be a, a, a similar dichotomy this time. We'll see. I love these women. I love the people who have been in the show, you know, for a long time, but also we have these incredible new performers, you know, Nicole Ari Parker and Karen right. Pittman and Sarita Cowdery and Sara Ramirez, just to mention, like, there's actually many more than that, but like, those are the, the big new four, um, and these women are incredible and gorgeous and so different from us and so different from each other. And there really aren't a lot of shows, I think, about women in their 50s. There are barely shows about women in their 40s. It's true. Um, 
and it, it and I I feel like you know when I was not yet this age I'm 55 I viewed this this period of life as just like Nebraska it's just like just <laughs> flat it's all right. the same and it just stretches out and it's like you're just in that you know you're not old old but you're certainly not young but once you get into a particular place of course, there's all this specificity and, and, and differentiation between being 50 and being 55, you know, between right. being 45 and 50. And it's like, let's look at it and let's look at it with characters that we already know and love. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I am thrilled to be, to be this age and to, to get to, you know, not only return to this character, but let her be the age that she is and, and having all of these, you know, postmenopausal uh, experiences, um, because I, I have to say, you know, as an actress, as a woman in show business, you know, there's like, you're first I'm a kid, then you're the girl, then you're like the love interest, and then you're the mom, and then you're the mom forever. The mom right. period, like in life, goes on for a really long time. <laughs> And then you get to the age where your kids are grown, your fictional kids in this case, or, you know, and all of a sudden the parts get more interesting. There's an enormous amount of exploration. And I think that's true in life. And I think I certainly that's been true in my experience in terms of the parts that I've been offered. Is there any, if, if we speak very quietly, if we speak very quietly, is there anything that you can tell us about what we're going to see from Miranda? I don't think so. All right. I don't think I can tell you anything, although I have to say Brady was always a big part of Miranda's life. And he is now being played by this amazing actor, Neil Cunningham and David Eigenberg, who plays Steve. And I, I mean, we fell in love with him the moment we saw him. And it's so amazing for us to, you know, have been acting with these people playing our young children. Right. And now they're, they're teens and tweens and, um, and beyond. And, you know. That that is that is very exciting for me to see to see Miranda with an with an almost almost out of the nest uh, offspring. Do you? So here's this our last question because I know you've got to run on to many many other things yes. today. Yes. So I saw on Instagram that you actually directed and starred in an episode of and just like I that did. was that your I first did. time directing? I've directed three full productions on stage. Okay, um, but I've never done anything on film before. And so it was one of the, one of the things that we talked about when we were signing up and I was so thrilled and terrified and all that stuff. And I have to say, I mean, they really, they, they supported me so, so much with all, with the prep time. And we had, uh, they were incredibly supportive, both certainly the actors were all very supportive, but everybody on the crew and the whole production team um, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, I handed in my director's cut of it at the end of last week. And I think they're, they're going to be scoring it soon and it's almost done. And I think it's, I think it's pretty good, pretty good episode. Well, I hope that when the episode is on, you will flag it for all of us so that we can know as we are watching it, Cynthia. Oh, you'll know, you'll see my big old name there, but it is, uh, it, it's episode 106. 106. So okay. Just- 106 out of 10. Yeah, we're doing 10 episodes. Cynthia so. Nixon, thank you so much for it joining us on Hysteria. Pleasure. We're going to take a quick break and Shaniqua will be back and we'll get into personal political. Thanks so much.
And we're back. Shaniqua, what is the best gift you've ever received? Okay, a gift I think about a lot, which may have not served me in, in my longer life, is so I have a twin sister, and my mother got us both Barbie dolls, but she also got us these little occupation things to come with it. So I I had a bank. So my Barbie like ran the bank and my sister had a bakery. And so she would come over and like deposit her money into my bank and I would go get pastries and stuff. But we would spend hours doing that. And I don't, I don't know. I, my mother, um, she just raised us to be like very independent and like kind of take care of ourselves. And I'm not saying those Barbie dolls like did that, but I think it planted a seed of just kind of like, ladies in charge of their lives, doing what they have to do and, and being good at it. That That is wonderful. It makes my best gift ever feel maybe a little pathetic, but also kind of heartwarming. So when I started working for uh, Barack Obama, my boyfriend of many years had broken up with me. And so here I was with people who I did not know that well. And uh, our state director at the time, Anita, had also broken up with her boyfriend. And we decided to get on Match.com together. This is... 2005, 2006. And so we get on match.com. A week goes by. She calls me up on the phone. And so picture this. John Favreau is 10 feet away from me. Tommy Vitor is 10 feet away from me. And uh, they hear me on the phone and this is what they hear. Yeah. No. What's a wink? I'm not sure what a wink is. What's a wink? And it turned out that I had been on Match.com and the wink was when someone thought you were cute and would wink at you. And she had all these winks and I didn't get any winks, not one. I didn't get one wink. And I started to cry at my desk. And my boss, Pete Rouse, who was like known as the mayor of Capitol Hill, the 51st senator, comes over and he's just like, what's going on over here? And Favreau did his best to explain how I was crying over winks and the day ends, I come back in the next day and there's a card on my chair and it is from Pete Rouse, the 51st Senator. And it is a cat winking. And it says, this is the only wink that matters. <laughs> and <laughs> That's to me, really nice. that was like the nicest thing that anyone could do. But you guys, today I'm excited to get into a discussion to talk about our obsession with gift giving with a panel that I know will have some, some opinions They'll just have a few opinions, just some opinions. First, she's a filmmaker, an actor, and stand-up comedian who just headlined Dynasty Typewriter in L.A. She's very tired, but we're grateful she's here. It's Kieran Deal. Hi, how are you? Do I sound more awake now? You do. Oh, my God. It's like you took some Adderall or something. You are pumped up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kieran, you have been on the road. Do you have any shows coming up that people should know about? I'm going to be in Philly. I'm going to be at the Philadelphia Punchline January 6th to 8th. January 6th to 8th. So it's after Thanksgiving. It's after all the gifts have been given. It's the last gift you can give yourself at the beginning of next year. That, I love giving tickets as gifts. So who knows my who knows who might get gifted tickets to your show in Philadelphia, Karen? I don't know if it's going to be as good as that cat wink card. That's, that's, look, that's a special, it's a special story. Next up. You know her. You love her. She's an activist. She's an author. Her forthcoming book, You Sound Like a White Girl, which I I do, uh, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation is available for pre-order now. You must pre-order. I have pre-ordered. It's Jaleesa Arce. Hi. uh, Yes, you should pre-order my book. That is the best gift you can give yourself this holiday season. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when you said that 
uh, John Favreau and Tommy Vitor, I thought you were going to say that you had found them on Match.com. <laughs> that's where I thought that's that that would have been hilarious. And I'm I'm kind of as brother. I have such brother sister relations that if we had ever matched, I think it would have like fundamentally changed our relationship. <laughs> okay, you guys. So it's the holidays. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. Every day we start the news out and we hear stories about supply chain problems and what a disaster gift giving is going to be. So I'm curious, Julissa, what kind of gift giver are you? I'm a very generous gift giver, uh, probably to a fault. I also am always like, is this gift mm-hmm. good enough? Uh, for this person? Like, what if they don't like it? And I also have a hard time figuring out like what would really brighten their day. I kind of know like, okay, this is like a practical thing they'll need, right? Like with my brother, right. for example, like his, he actually is like a Christmas baby. Like he was born on Christmas day. And so I have tried my whole life very hard to make sure that I give him two gifts because I don't want him to like, you know, I don't want to be unfair and be like, here's your one <laughs> gift. But like, for example, like we go to Mexico every Christmas and I always want to give him like the plane ticket to go to Mexico, right? Because that's like, I think that's a nice gift. But I'm also like, I don't know, that that's maybe not a fun gift, right? That's like a practical gift. So I always struggle between like giving someone that's practical that I know they need and they'll use versus something that is just maybe like fun for them. I feel like a plane ticket threads the needle pretty well between both fun and practical. Yeah. It depends on how much you like going to visit your family. <laughs> right. <laughs> we really like going to visit our family. Okay. Yeah. Then, yeah. Kieran, <laughs> what kind of gift giver are you? I'm, I'm like, I would say I'm like a forage gift giver. Like it, it's like, I'm the kind of person who's like, I don't, I don't have a lot of stuff and I don't buy that much stuff. And so it's like, I can remember what, I can remember one Christmas, like getting a gift from someone I wasn't expecting to get a gift from. They came over to my house, they dropped something off. And then I was like, just taking things off of my bookshelf and giving it to them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just giving people my things. (laughs) I was like, I was like, oh, you gave me a tiny bottle of basil here. Have this premium tequila. (laughs) So has pandemic changed how you guys give gifts and spend your money on gifts? Jalisa, how about you? No, I don't think so. I think if it was like still someone's birthday, I would still Mm. have gotten them the same thing, whether it was like pandemic or not. Um, But I, I think like a long time ago, a really long time ago, I don't know, maybe like 15 years ago, I made the decision that I was never gonna spend money on gifts that I didn't actually have. Um, Mm -hmm. Because like, I think that uh, sometimes, especially during the holidays, there's like this big pressure to like buy everyone a gift. And, um, and I remember one year, like in my early 20s, I um, had just gotten a credit card. And like, I spent like so much money on this credit card and like, didn't even see how much my bill was. And then at the end of the month, when I got the bill, I was like, holy shit, I spent a lot of money. But I think like a lot of people like just succumb to the pressure of I must buy this gift. Like I must be generous. And then they go into debt and I just never think that's worth it. I never, ever, ever think it's worth it to go into debt to buy a gift ever. I agree. The person who broke up with me for whom I needed the wink card, I had gone into debt buying him presents. And it's like, then it's like you're broken up with, then you're broken up with. And it's like- And broke. And you're still getting that <laughs> fucking visa bill at the end of every month. You're oh, like, yeah. okay, 
Here we go. So I agree. Kieran, what about you? Has pandemic changed how you give gifts and how you spend your money? It's changed probably the way I spend money. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I I don't know if there's been as many occasions, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I feel like the occasions are less. Like, you know, so many weddings got canceled or they were over Zoom or people, you know, like it it all ties in, right? It's like people are are generally having – it felt like for that time because people couldn't gather. So people are generally having less – events. So that's so much of the time when you go and you would give like a bottle of wine or a gift card to something or whatever. But if everyone's doing something at their house or you're not meeting in person, there's not that same, like, do you put something in the mail? I guess you can. I guess that's a very sweet thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think it did just in terms of the practical of it. Right. Shaniqua, what about you? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so typically, like around holidays and stuff, I'll just get gifts for my friends and family and birthdays as well. But I will say I have a bad habit with with men <laughs> of trying to demonstrate that like, oh, I can offer things that are material in a relationship. I'm, you know, I can get nice gifts and I'm out of that now. Thank you to therapy. But I would do that a lot, like buying these gifts <laughs> to just say like, oh, look at me. I, I give nice things. I'm a thoughtful person trying to kind of prove myself in ways. And now therapy plus just COVID, like I've, it's just provided a lot of time to kind of think about those things and realize like, I don't need to be doing that for all of those people. Um, so I think that in that way, COVID has kind of like reframed how I think about gifts as a way to kind of demonstrate some sort of value to other people. Cat Williams had this like old joke that he used to do about about going into debt with um, with kids. And he was like, you shouldn't go into debt to, to get your kids stuff. And then he talks about buying 50 or 100 toys from like the dollar store and then filling the living room with them and wrapping them and like the kid coming down the stairs and just being like, Daddy, you shouldn't have. Like, <laughs> this is too much. Like, this is too much. But I do kind of love that idea because I've been broke before and I thought that was interesting what you said, Julissa. Like, I, I do remember with one friend, it was like, I've been broken. So it's like setting like limits mm-hmm. on what, you know, or it's like the people you can be honest with and be like, let's do gifts, but we're going to just do some, just a little something, yeah. just a small something. Like the whole point of it is it is it should be fun as opposed right. to like kind of a dick swinging competition. Right. Do you yes. know what I mean? Of like, you know, who got the grander thing for the person. It can get very, very competitive. Like mm-hmm. Indian weddings, it can be so competitive. It's like who got the bride the nicer thing or which in-law did the better thing and who got the nicer, you know what I mean? Like yeah. who got the who got the shinier jewelry or the bigger car. And it's like as a way to kind of avoid that, because it shouldn't, it shouldn't it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's supposed to be a fun thing. Is that supposed to, you yeah. know? And then yeah. how does the recipient feel? You know, when everyone is just trying to one up each other and then does the person getting all this stuff even need it? Do they feel special from it? Or is it just kind of like, oh, I have all this shit now. And also I think like more and more, like my husband and I were just talking about this the other day where we were like, what did we get each other for our anniversary last year? And like, neither one of us could remember what, we got each other or for our birthdays. We're like, what did I get? I mean, I know I got him a present for his birthday, but I can't remember what I got him for his birthday. And so like for his birthday this year, it, I gave him like a little certificate for um, like when Japan reopens, like 
will go to Japan for his birthday uh, because that will definitely remember, you know, we'll like a hundred percent remember this experience. We remember everywhere we've been together. We don't always remember like the shoes or the purse or the whatever that we got each other. So more and more for us uh, in our little family, it's more about like experiences than it is about like a physical material thing that we can give each other. It also reminds me of just like the love languages, you know, like gifts don't always have to be things, you know, Mm -hmm. like you could like give somebody, I don't know, like cleaning their house or like taking care of their kids or depending on what their love language is, that's going to be the best gift. You know what? And for us, no, one of the things that my husband and I decided we're coming up on our eighth anniversary, which I was like, I have to do the math. Have we really been married eight years? But we decided that like sometimes the holidays and anniversaries and birthdays are just too much pressure. And so it's like during the year, if you see something, it's like, it's like his birthday was two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to get? He's so hard to buy for. And so like, we've just eliminated that pressure. And it's just like throughout the year, if I see something, I'm like, you know what? He'll love that. I just get it. And he'll get it in July instead of October. But it's like kind of a nice liberating way so that you just, when you see it and you know it's meaningful, you get it. It's not like that kind of weird, stressful scramble before where you're like, oh, God, I have no ideas, but I have to get something. And then it's like, well, was that really the right thing that you got then if that's kind of like how you were thinking about it going into it? I love this idea of if you see something, buy something. It's like you're... (laughs) It's like you're on the subway. You know, it's like if you see something, say, say something. something on the New York City subway. <laughs> totally. If you see something, buy something. That's that's Alyssa's, Alyssa's motto. She's like, if you write a book on marriage, you know. So believe me. I would call it three tips, three tips for a successful <laughs> marriage. Number one, I don't know what it is, but this should definitely be number two. <laughs> <laughs> like the holidays and gifting and stuff, it's also like – full of trauma. I feel like I, a lot of things come up like, oh, you know, like I don't get a lot of gifts from my family and like it hurts my feelings and not because like I want like a big thing, but like I just want to be like thought of, you know, or like remembering like growing up and like I'm young enough to remember layaway. (laughs) Of course. Getting things on layaway at Walmart. Um, And, and so I think it's just like a lot of those things like just like come up, you know, it's like, it's not so much about like getting like a big thing, but like, I will say I do love getting something, you know, like even if it's like a card or like chocolates, like whatever, Um, just so that to know like somebody's thinking about you and they just haven't like completely taking you for granted. Layaway, layaway was like the exact opposite of Amazon Prime. It's like, (laughs) you go... You find something because that's where we got our our school clothes always went on layaway at Marshall's, you know, Mm -hmm. and so throughout the summer you'd go and you'd get some new school clothes and they'd go on layaway and it would be like, you know, mom would go in and give a check like every two weeks or whatever it was. And then right before school, you get your clothes. But it was like literally I don't like you can almost understand how Amazon Prime became such a thing because waiting for layaway to be paid off was fucking murder. Yes. And now they have the what's it called? A firm or something where you can buy now and pay later. So that's like the the nice version of layaway because you get your stuff and then you just pay it off later but uh that was a really good point like you know growing up it was kind of hit or miss on during the holidays as to how much stuff we would get I have two sisters one twin sister 
And yeah, sometimes Christmas just felt like a sacrifice for my mother. Like, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't get this X, Y, Z for herself because we had to have things under the tree. But we we hit an age, probably late middle school or high school, where she, you know, we would get one pretty nice gift. And she was just honest that this is what I can do. You know, I can't have 10 gifts under the tree for each of you. And I don't know, that just really stuck with me. And I always cherished and valued that one thing that she was able to give us because I knew it meant so much more for her to be able to do that than, you know, have like 10 things under the tree. The other thing I think about is, yeah, like comparative value. Like the, like I remember being in Nepal one time, like during um, the shooting of this documentary and the family that we were with had four chickens, right? And they killed one of the chickens so that we could eat chicken with the family, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, and I was like, oh, don't kill your chicken. Like we can, I can get chicken anytime in yeah. America. Don't get your chicken. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that, but that, I, I always, that always makes me think of a, a gift as proportional to what somebody has. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a kind of the gesture, like that's so much more meaningful than somebody you know, every time you see like, it's, listen, it's great that every time somebody goes on Ellen and gives away a ton of money or something, but it's like, if a guy has like, you know, $20 million and he's like, here's a hundred thousand dollar check, like I'm the best person. (laughs) It's like, yeah. I mean, that's, it's all comparative to what you have. Right. So I, I always do think about it as, as proportional. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's also like an American, like it's such it's such an American thing. Like I remember when I first came to the U.S. and like Black Friday and people being in line to like <laughs> that. I was just like, I've yeah. like that does not register in my in my culture. Like that does not register in my like like why would anybody do that? Or like you know when they started opening on Thanksgiving Day, and yeah. so then like people were like skipping dinner with their family to like go stand in line to buy a new TV. Like, I I think that's just, that's like the extreme or like people dying because they were like trampled going into a store. Like, I think those are like the worst manifestations of the consumerism culture that we have in the United States. And I guess that's just like the the flip side of like, oh yeah, gifting is fun and it's fun to get Mm -hmm. gifts. But it's like, sometimes it just goes way too crazy, way Mm -hmm. too capitalistic for my taste. But that's a good question. Why is our culture, Jalissa, so obsessed with buying gifts and giving gifts? I think a lot of it is what we see on TV, right? And like how much, I mean, just think about how much money is spent on advertising, right? Like, Like the advertising budgets for like companies across the board, like from like, I mean, the worst part of the the worst of it is like pharma companies, right? That spend more money right. in advertising than they yeah. do on research. And that's just the case for like every company across the board. Like how much, how many images are we fed every single day of something that we never even thought we needed, but now we must have, you know, like with the iPhone, like every year there's a new iPhone and there is this like pressure to have that new iPhone or like even when you're a kid and you show up to school with Payless shoes, you're gonna get made fun yeah, of. Like you just, me. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, or like I would have like secondhand uniforms and kids would notice, you know, that it wasn't like a new uniform. And so there's just, since you were like a little kid, there's this pressure put on you by advertisers, by what you see on television, like everything around you is constantly telling you, you need something new, you need something better, you need to have like the latest, biggest thing. And at some point, like you just have to like break out of it and say, you know what, like, 
my value, my whatever is not measured by, you know, like I used to be like, I remember when I, when I worked uh, at Goldman, like I used to be embarrassed of shopping like at Target and like wearing shirts that I bought at Target. And I would just hope that like nobody noticed that my shirt was from Target because everybody else's shit was like Chanel. And um, and now, you know, I go to Target and I'm like, this shit is cute. Like, I so cute. <laughs> love buying sweaters. And my t-shirt today is proudly from Target, you know? So I think, like, you just realize at one point, like, things don't actually really matter that much. Here's an interesting question. So last year, around this time, we were not vaccinated, right? There were spikes happening across the country. The word coming from you know, scientists and and professionals was like, "Mm, I don't know about those Thanksgiving gatherings and I'm not sure about traveling for Christmas. And so a year later, here we are, all of us are vaxxed, you know, I'm boosted. I feel bionic, you know, and I'm ready to like have a good time, but not everyone is boosted, but I do feel more celebratory, right? Whereas like last Christmas, last Thanksgiving, last holiday season, I felt like, you know, I still, you know, all of my contracts and jobs had vaporized and I wasn't sure like what the future would hold. Do you guys feel like the general mood in the country, I mean, aside from people who are so angry, they like throw things on planes, but the rest of the people, do you think that this holiday season is going to be different than last year? Like, do you think people are going to spend more money or do you think that we've realized we can get by with a lot less and we're just kind of happy to be fucking alive? I know for me, I am just happy that I am alive and can see my family this year. Um, me too. You know, I think I've, in, since being vaccinated, I've spent a lot more money on plane tickets and, and traveling to see people than I have on actual things because, and, and food at restaurants, sitting outside, but food at restaurants, because that's another way I really like to like, just spend time with people. Um, and I don't have family in LA. So around the holidays, you know, it's just kind of me, but especially last year around Thanksgiving, I was in LA by myself and it was just, yeah, it was a little sad. I normally go over to my friend's house, but he has older parents. So he didn't invite me this year, which made total sense, but it it just wasn't that great. And so now I just want to spend as much time as possible with people and that costs money. And so I'd much rather use my money on that than, you know, having, I don't know the last time I've gone shopping. Like I actually do need some new jeans and stuff because I'm going out into the world more, but I don't know, things just don't feel as important as the people. And Julissa, like you were saying, you know, we're inundated with all these messages about, you know, buy this, you need all this new stuff that translate into our value as people. But like, in reality, the people just being there is as much as I need from them. Like, I don't need fancy things to show up with them. Yeah. Shaniqua, anytime that you don't have a holiday thing to go to, the Raya household is... (laughs) Open pizza Fridays. My husband cooks pizza every Friday in cast iron skillets, and we have fancy Ooh. wine and pizza. So come over. On that sounds, oh my gosh, that's so nice. See, I don't building know why that bridges. Makes, <laughs> that makes me like misty-eyed. <laughs> Kindness, thank you. Yeah, that's also. But there was a because everyone was isolated. I right. mean, the thing is, it's like coming out of pandemic. You feel like it's the the gift is. Like, I even remember going to, like, the first comedy show and everyone was like, isn't this the best? Like, isn't this just so great? And it's like, we're in a place that looks like the inside of a cheap limo (laughs) with just neon blue lighting around the walls. But it was about, like, people being together and laughing, right? So I do think that the 
hopefully one of the things we've gotten is the value is on on the people and getting to be together with people. That's what makes it special. Like the one thing, like on my on a birthday in the pandemic, it's like a bunch of like I think there were three or four of us in July got together outside. Um, but everyone dressed in cocktail attire for this backyard uh, at my behest, you know, <laughs> um, a, a.k.a. my demand. I was like, and now we'll be in cocktail attire. Please wear your <laughs> but everyone did it for this like backyard. And it was like four or five people. And we sat outside and we ordered take. But it was like it was really sweet. Mm-hmm. It was just like so sweet that people, you know, it was just very tiny. But people showed up. We were outside and like and just making it. Making it, making the everyday a little fancy. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, I feel like we can all agree that material things aren't everything. They may not even really be anything at the end of the day. But that said, that said, okay, lightning round. What is either the best gift you have given or the best gift you've gotten? Shaniqua, I'll start with you. I think the best gifts I actually give are cards, Um, not to like to my own horn. I like writing. I'm good at it. And whenever I put a little bit of emotion into it and write someone a nice card, um, I think that's better than any actual like material thing I can give them. Uh, You know, one of my friends, she's, um, you know, she has cancer and I was trying to think of all these things to send her. And finally I found a really nice card in the grocery store. And then I just wrote like a couple of page, like little cardstock pages to stick in there. And when she got it, she just called and it's just like, you know, or she texted me and was like, this, I'm keeping this card up. It was so thoughtful. I really appreciate it. And I was glad I got it because I was spending all this time trying to figure out what material things should I get her. And I think the card meant a lot more than, than anything else would have. Kieran, what about you? I think surprise, things you're not expecting. Like, this is a thing I think is just delightful. A girlfriend would come over to my house all the time, would be working, whatever. And we would eat pizza, but I didn't have a pizza slicer. Like, and I wasn't going to ever buy one. I'm just not going, I'm like, that's, there's a knife. I can make it work. I don't care. And one time this bitch got me a pizza slicer, (laughs) you know, things like that. I like, I like things that hit that Venn diagram of like, I would just never have gotten this because it's just not on my radar of things that are a priority at all. And also I will use this if I have it. Jalisa, what about you? So the best gifts I've given are, again, like trips. Like I took my mom to Costa Rica for her Mm. 60th birthday. My two nephews, 15 and 17, uh, are coming to spend Thanksgiving week with me. And we're going to Disney and we're going to Universal Studios. And like they've never left Texas before. So like I'm super excited. Mm. Um, I'm taking my husband to Japan as soon as it opens. Um, So I love giving like trips and going on Mm -hmm. trips with people. Um, But the best gift I think I've received uh, was a pair of shoes. And it's not because of the shoes themselves, because they're like, I don't then shoes. So it's like nothing super fancy. Um, But it was one of those things where I kept looking at the shoes and I kept telling Fernando, we were, we had only been dating like four months. And I was like, I love these shoes. Like, look at them. And I would show them to him online. But for whatever reason, I didn't pull the trigger. And so then I came home from a trip and he had bought me this pair of shoes. He was like, here's a pair of shoes you really wanted. And I was just like, I am going to marry this guy. And I did. <laughs> I do feel like I shit the bed with my pizza slicer Why? story That's now. That's a great one. That was good. That person felt seen and heard. Like yeah. that's the most important part. It doesn't matter really. I mean, truthfully, at the end of the day, if someone shows up and it's like, 
I have neighbors across the street who sometimes just leave like bouquets of dahlias from their garden on my front step. And that is like, fuck, like they thought of me and they left it. And that's like the nicest thing that anybody can do is think of you. All right. Well, we've solved holiday gift giving. Fixed it. Fixed it. Okay. So when we come back, I feel petty. Welcome to the part of the show where we get petty as fuck. But first, some housekeeping. We dropped new merch. Check out brand new Hysteria merch in the Crooked Store dropping every week in November. New arrivals include Eleanor and Midge podcast toys, petty sweatshirts, and more. Shop the latest holiday Hysteria merch now at crooked.com slash store. All right, the house has been kept. Now on to our petties. Okay, we're back and we feel petty. Shaniqua, what are you feeling petty about this week? This is just literally a personal gripe. Yesterday, I realized I had been in the house for like three days because my sister's community is not walkable. And so I drove to the grocery store and went in, got some stuff. And then when I came out, this man had uh, backed in next to me, but I had pulled in straight and he got into his car before me. And I'm like, he can just pull out. He backed in. I'm going to sit here and wait. And then I waited and waited and he didn't move. So I said, okay, I'm going to leave. So I back out and I'm turning like the car in front of him to drive off. And I get like this close to, I'm basically kind of in front of him. And then he pulls out like, and almost hits me. And so, I mean, I'm not saying all men are bad drivers. I'm not even saying he's a bad driver, but it was just really stupid to do like pay attention and I don't know. Just don't be an asshole driver in the parking lot. And he was like in a city car. So I guess maybe he didn't care if he dinged But that's, I'll go second because mine is also car related. You guys, mm. I need all cars to have the same headlights. <laughs> I cannot take. It's <laughs> like, it's like a hierarchy or survival of the fittest of headlights. It's like the most expensive, fancy cars have these blinding beams, even when they're not on their brights. And it's like I'm cruising Mm -hmm. around in my Subaru Forester and I'm just like constantly like shielding myself from what I assume is a G-Wagon blinding me uh, coming from the opposite direction. (laughs) So I – it's petty. I don't know. Maybe I'm just annoyed, but I just really think that there should be some national standard for how bright is too bright for headlights. I think that's a fair one. If we were going all car themed, I mean, I had a different one, which is very silly. But in the, on the car theme tip, it's like when someone gets like in a full parking lot and you're looking for a space and you see someone get in and then they're sitting there on their cell phone waiting yeah. and you're waiting for them to get out and you're like, can we get a move on, people? What are we doing here? Like, come on. But come what if on. they're putting like, in directions of where they're going to next? Yeah, okay, so honey, we have a perpetrator you know, get- here. We have a perpetrator. <laughs> get out. Get out of the space. Like, drive up a little bit. Put the directions in there. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Just to be fair, I am always like, I need to be safe. I don't want to like be putting the directions as I'm like driving. 
So really, it's for everyone's safety that I <laughs> put the directions when oh, I'm. Oh man, you could. <laughs> I love the way this is. This yeah, is a, a little this is a petty conflict. But what if you, what if you reverse out? You get out of the space, and then and then you're just out of the space, but you're still in the parking then, lot. Like, and then you just. But then I don't want to be the person like with Shaniqua that is like blocking the way. <laughs> that in my stall, in the parking lot stall, is the. Perfect way, perfect place to. I guess I could I could put in the directions before I get in the car. You know, before I get to to my car to sit in the car. But then, it really, doesn't make a difference because it's still the same amount of time. You just don't see me. And then the truth is, but let's be real. You don't just put in the directions. You're like, oh, who texted me? Oh, let me check Instagram. Oh, let me see Facebook. Oh, look. No, I really oh, just put in the directions. I really just mm-hmm, put in the directions. Mm-hmm. I believe you. My, I'm doing air quotes. I believe. I believe you. Okay. What about you? What's your petty? I feel petty about nothing. Like for first time in a long time, I'm just really happy this week. This week is great. The new season of Hentified is uh, out on Netflix, which uh, two of my good friends uh, co-created. The new Encanto Disney movie that is looks coming out, wonderful. and the premieres. Yeah. yeah, and the premieres were on the same night. My girls, Ida Rodriguez's HBO special is out uh, on HBO Max. Fighting Words, uh, Head of the Class, starting Isabella Gomez, is out. I mean, there's just like so much goodness. Latino, Latinx, Latine whatever you want to call it, content in the world. And it's just making me so freaking happy that I cannot possibly feel petty about anything. It is our time right now. And I'm so happy for it. So excited for it. Everybody go watch all of those things that I just mentioned. Well, I mean, I don't think you could have had That's a better it. answer. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. I love I love the way I was like, do you want me to talk about buttons <laughs> puckering? <laughs> you guys... Thank you. Thank you to Jalissa and Kieran for joining today. Thank you, Cynthia Nixon. Hello. Thank you, Cynthia. And to my wonderful co-pilot these past two weeks, Shaniqua McClendon. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you to everyone. And there will be more hysteria next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Hey, 